Have you thought about securing your hard-earned assets? Do you have concerns about the future? Protecting assets is crucial, and that's where Nelson Elder Care Law excels. As a family-owned and family-focused firm, we provide absolute assurance and peace of mind through our trademarked Absolute Protection Trust, tailored services in estate planning, probate administration, Medicaid crisis solutions, guardianship, and conservatorship. Our goal is to exceed your expectations and empower informed decisions. Visit NelsonElderCareLaw.com for asset protection and peace of mind. Let's talk about it with Janelle King. So we've all heard the term, know your rights, but do you really know what your rights are? I recently did a panel and a young woman came up to me afterwards and I've been talking about this, not because I wanted to highlight the fact that this young woman didn't know that we were a constitutional republic, but because I wanted to highlight the fact that I think that there are a lot of people who don't know that we're a constitutional republic and that we are not a democracy. We are not ran by mob rule in this country. But why? Because you would think that the majority rule is the better option, that that is what we should be doing. But it's the reason why we're not there. And it's because of history. And I really believe that there's, I mean, I mean there's been a lot of conversation around the whole topic of history and whether we're teaching accurate history or not. But I really wanted to make sure that I did a little bit of a deep dive into what I believe is the most important history that we need to know. And that's the formation of our country. Like how did America become America? What was happening? Who was involved? I mean, I don't think people today not just Gen Zers. I know of a lot of millennials who can't tell you these things. I mean, there's Gen Xers, there are baby boomers who have no idea um, how our, our country was formed. We think we know, but do we really know? So I wanted to kind of break down something and just do a little bit of a deep dive and go down this rabbit trail a bit around the Constitution, but primarily the Bill of Rights, because I think we hear a lot about the Constitution, but do don't we don't hear a lot about the Bill of Rights. We we don't we 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 hear about maybe one or two amendments, but I don't think people really understand it. So when I ask the question, do you know your rights? I really want to know. And also, how do you know if your rights have been violated? So again, we hear a lot about the Constitution and you know every law, policy, and mandatory action that, that should be protected by the Constitution, but your individual rights are covered as well. And they're covered under the Bill of Rights. And if I was to ask you what amendments are part of the Bill of Rights, I think most would start at, or start and stop, at the first and second amendment. But sometimes, you know, and sometimes I hear the 10th amendment, but did you know that there were multiple amendments? There are a lot of amendments. It's not just the big 10. And even in that, when when you don't know all of the top 10, that's, that's a problem too. Or it could be a problem because you won't know if you've been violated. But don't feel bad because I, I was the same way. And I started to ask myself these questions. I realized I couldn't answer them. So I said, you know what? Let me just go on this rabbit trail and educate myself and take my listeners with me. So today you're going to learn your rights. You're going to learn about it. And we're going to start with the basics because I plan to interview um, a constitutional expert to talk about some other stuff. But today I just want to give you some of the basics. Like who are our founding fathers? What are our founding fathers? What does that mean? Well, 
Let's just start with that. So the term founding fathers is often referred to as the individuals who played a significant role in founding the United States of America. And these individuals were instrumental in drafting and adopting the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, which is now our form of American government and society. But the most well-known founding fathers include George Washington, who, you know, I think we all know was our first president, as well as he was the commander of the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. We have Thomas Jefferson, who authored the Declaration of Independence and was the third president of the United States. Let's not forget James Madison, who's often coined or known as the father of the Constitution and the author of many of the Federalist Papers. And then you have Benjamin Franklin, who was a writer, a scientist, a diplomat. Um, he, he played a significant role in the Re- Revolutionary War as well and the drafting of the Constitution. And then lastly, you have John Adams, a lawyer, a statesman who play, also played a key role in the Continental Congress and the Revolutionary War and later served as the second president of the United States. I don't want to make it seem like it was just these individuals because it's important to note that there were a lot of people who contributed to the founding of the United States. But when it comes to who pinned the paper, who was really leading the charge, that's where we have our founding fathers. But the actual process of writing the Constitution was led by James Madison, who, like I said before, was often referred to as the father of the Constitution. And Madison played a very a central role in shaping the document and was responsible for many of the key provisions. So the final text of the Constitution was the result of extensive debate and compromise among the delegates. So when people start to say, I, I think a lot of people think that that the Constitution was written by just these these few men, <laughs> but no, it, it took a lot. It was a deep process in getting to the point where the Constitution becomes not just something that was written, but something that we are we are to to abide by and that has the 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 legal ramifications around it. <laughs> So, but don't worry, because I'm going to interview, like I said, an expert that's going to really talk about this topic and he'll do more of a detailed discussion around what these debates were and like what was going on and why and what they were saying. And I'm really looking forward to that. But the document was designed initially to create a stronger, more effective central government that could address the problems facing the young nation um, that, that was that was developing at that time, while also protecting individual liberties and limiting the power of government. But I don't want you to think, as I was stating a little bit before, that once the documents were written, they immediately took effect. No, there was a ratification process. And then I realized to myself, I don't think there are a lot of people who know what ratifying means. So... I want to make sure you know what that means. And so the the ratification process means that it's an act of validating and making something legal or binding. So when I say ratify or ratification, that's what I'm talking about is that we're making it valid now. And it's a long process. Some of the steps, or or I could just give you the steps, but in order to develop or or to, to, to ratify the constitution or ratify anything at that time, They had to go through a series of steps. They had to first draft the Constitution, which in 1787, there were delegates from the 12 
of the 13 states that gathered gathered in Philadelphia and they drafted a new constitution to replace the Articles of Confederation. And then you have the ratification process of states. So once the constitution was drafted, it was then submitted to the states for ratifying. Nine out of the 13 states had ratified the constitution, had to ratify the constitution for it to become effective. And then you had to go through a series of debates and ratifying conventions. And this is where the states held debates and ratifying conventions to consider the constitution. Supporters of the constitution were known as the Federalists, and they argued in favor of ratification, while there were opposition that were the anti-Federists who opposed it. Well, then you have the Federalist Papers, as we stated before, that James Madison was a part of, which was a series of different essays written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay, who were published in newspapers throughout the country to explain and defend the Constitution. And these essays were known as the Federalist Papers, and they helped to kind of sway the public opinion. So that were taking this conversation to the public, much like what we see in social media. So just imagine them going on social media, creating a social media page and saying, we're going to now talk about this. And the public can go there and kind of get their perspective on it. I thought it was a great move. It was kind of social media before social media, (laughs) but that's how that happened. And I'm actually reading the Federalist Papers now. Um, I'm listening to it. There's a, a great podcast that just, you can listen to each of the page of the essays. So um, yeah, that was pretty cool. You can go to my social media page. I'm probably going to put it up there too, to, um, so you can listen along if you want. So then, then you have the amendments, right? So to address the concerns that were raised by the anti-federalists, the Federalists agreed to add a Bill of Rights to the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights consisted of the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, which guaranteed fundamental rights such as freedom of speech, religion, press, and so forth. So after all of that, you then had the ratification by the states, which between December 1787 and June 1788, the Constitution was ratified by the required nine states, starting with Delaware and ending with New Hampshire. And then lastly, the implementation. So finally, you have the nine out of the the, um, 13 that agreed to to, uh, ratify the Constitution. We now have it. So now you have the implementation, once the, which means that once the Constitution was ratified, it now went into effect. And that happened on March 4th, 1789. George Washington was inaugurated as the first president of the United States. So now that you know what the ratification process was like and how and everything it took to get this to happen, and although I said it in the course of like 30 seconds, <laughs> it took a long time. It, 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 was, it, it, it really was an extensive process. So, But once the Constitution was written and it had been ratified by the individual states before it go into effect, like I stated before, the process, like I said, was lengthy. And it was a lot of opposing, you know, ideas and just going back and forth, but it eventually went into effect. However, I don't think people understand the difference between the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, because even though they were requesting the Bill of Rights at the time, um, it was important to know that the Bill of Rights wasn't something that was automatically a part of the Constitution, the Constitution was initially just a foundational document. It still serves as our foundational document that outlines the structure and the function of the federal government. It established 
the framework for the separation of powers and it defined the rights and responsibilities of citizens. So in short, the Constitution kind of just laid it out, right? They laid out a basic framework of how the federal government should work. It included three branches of government, the legislative, executive, and the judicial. And it provided a system of checks and balances that really um, allowed the governments to be able to work together, but most importantly, prevented one branch from becoming too powerful. But the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights is something that was a little bit different. The Bill of Rights, to me, is what I pay attention to the most out of the, uh, the two. I mean, you need both, obviously, but I really pay attention to the Bill of Rights because it was a set of amendments that was added to the Constitution, and the purpose was to protect my individual liberties and to limit the power of the federal government. The Bill of Rights outlined specific protections for citizens against government infringement. The Bill of Rights basically was like the police to the police. <laughs> and and, and that's why we have such uh, amendments and such things like and rights like freedom of speech and religion, press, right to bear arm, to a fair trial. These are things that are very individualistic. And we really, really needed that because without this, the government could really, really do damage. So while the Constitution provided the framework of the, fed- of the federal government, like I said before, the Bill of Rights set a specific limit to the government's power and it protected our individual rights as citizens. So that's extremely important. So let's dig a little bit into the Bill of Rights. So when you look at the Bill of Rights, um, you know, it, it, it really, it, it's really all about, like I said, individual liberties and limiting federal government. If you make it about anything else, you're missing it. But I always wondered, what was going on? Like, why wasn't the Constitution enough? I just know human nature enough to know that there had to be something that happened, something that triggered this concern. So what was happening that led to the formation of the Bill of Rights? Well, during the Constitutional Convention in 1787, there were some delegates that would express major concerns that the Constitution just wasn't adequate enough and did not adequately protect our individual liberties. They were worried that this centralized government could abuse its powers just as the British government had abused its powers prior to the American Revolution. So I couldn't go any further uh, go any further in this without looking at what was going on prior to the American Revolution. Because just saying that, if I'm talking to people who are not familiar with the, the actual formation of this country and so the, the, the basic details, I, I just didn't want to leave you hanging. So I did some research on what was happening. Like, why should we have cared about the British government? Well, the American Revolution was a colonial revolt. It took place in 1765 and 1783, in which 13 British colonies in North America joined together to declare their independence from Great Britain and establish the United States of America. So in case you didn't know, the American Revolution had to happen. It was necessary. It was what we need to do in order to even start this process of becoming America. The primary purpose of the American Revolution was to secure greater political and economic freedom from for the colonists. Many of the colonists felt that they were being unfairly taxed and that they were being governed by a distant British government that did not have their best interests at heart that they were all pretty much like under a monarchy, right? That they were under either a monarchy or a dictatorship or however they felt at that time, 
it was just it just felt like it was it was not necessarily the government that they wanted to be under. They also felt that their rights as English citizens were being violated and that they had no representation in the British Parliament. So over time, you started to see tension start to develop between the colonists and the British government. And it it kind of culminated, culminated and just grew into the outbreak of the revolutionary of the, of the American Revolution that took place in 1775. So the war was fought on land and sea and all of that. We know there was numerous battles. It was a lot of devastation. It's just, it's what happens, right? It's what happens when there's war. But it was a very pivotal, pivotal, (laughs) it was a very pivotal moment in American history. And we all know that. So as I was, as I was continuing my research, I wanted to know, so I know they mentioned, you know, being taxed too much. I know they mentioned some other things about, you know, governing and, and, and coming from a distance. But I want to do a little bit deeper into what were some of those abuses of power that the British government was doing or that we should say the Federalists or the Anti-Federalists at the time felt like they were they were doing. Like, how were they abusing their power? Well, we've all heard of taxation without taxation without representation. That's when the colonists were required to pay taxes to the British government, but they had no representation in British Parliament. So they just they felt like these laws were just kind of imposed on them. And this led to just some resentment and protest. So that was the major one. But then there was the quartering of British troops where the British government passed a law that required colonists to provide housing and supplies to British troops stationed in colonies, in the colonies. And that these, the, the, this was seen as a violation because, you know, it put a burden on their resources as colonists. And then there was the restriction of trade where the British government passed laws that limited colonial trade and commerce in order to per, in order to benefit British merchants and industries, and you can do way more research on that. But some of these restrictions made it extremely difficult for colonists to make a living and undermined their economic independence. And then you also had the suspension of self government. So in response to the colonial protests and resistance of the British government, they passed a series of laws that suspended the self government of some colonies and place them under direct British rule. And this was seen also as a violation of colonial rights and a threat to their freedoms. So a lot of these grievances were grievances were, were mentioned and were, were there. And eventually it led to the American revolution. So now that you have that backstory, that is why there were some grave concern around not having the bill of rights or having just a list of individual protections. And these concerns were particularly strong among anti-federalists who were skeptical, extremely skeptical, (laughs) of a strong central government and worried that it might become tyrannical. So in order to win the support of the new constitution from these anti-federalists, supporters of the constitution who were known as the federalists, thus the federalist papers, agreed to add the Bill of Rights to the Constitution after it was ratified. And this process was done by, you know, with a bunch of legal documents and was approved and adopted and all that stuff. But the anti-federalists believed that such, that, that, that the such Bill of Rights or that the Bill of Rights in general was necessary to protect their individual liberties and again, to limit federal, federal government from becoming just too big and too tyrannical and being able to take over people's individual rights. 
So once the Constitution was ratified, James Madison introduced a set of proposed amendments that would in, that would become the Bill of Rights. And these amendments were again extensively debated and revised before ultimately ratifying the states. I want to see the original draft, and I'm going to ask our expert about that. <laughs> um, but the Bill of Rights was added to the Constitution in 1791, and it was since served as a crucial protection for individual liberties and the limited, limited amount of power, and limited the amount of power to the federal government. So now that we know that what the process was, what were these amendments? Like what were the proposed or the amendments that, that came about after extensive debate, after, you know, doing a lot of editing, rewriting and adjusting to make sure that everyone felt like they were being represented and that they were all at peace with this document because they all have to abide by it. So the amendments that we know, or I'm going to just list the top 10, obviously, like I said, there are more amendments, but the top 10 um, that are that make up the Bill of Rights is the First Amendment, which is the protection of freedom of religion, speech, press, right to assemble, right to petition the government um, and, and, and address your your grievances. And then you obviously have the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. You have the Third Amendment, which protects the government from quartering troops in private homes. So now you know, they, the government can't force you to have troops stay at, stay at your home. However, many of us probably wouldn't, wouldn't mind <laughs> if that moment ever came, but we have the right to refuse because of the Bill of Rights. Fourth Amendment protects citizens against unreasonable searches and seizures um, and requires a search warrant. Thank goodness for that. The Fifth Amendment protects citizens from self-incrimination and double jeopardy and guarantees due process of the law. The Sixth Amendment guarantees the right to a fair and speedy trial, the right to be informed of the charges against you, as well as the right to confront witnesses and the right to have an attorney. Then you have the Seventh Amendment, which guarantees the right to a trial by jury in the civil in civil cases. Then you have the Eighth Amendment. It prohibits excessive bail fines, as well as cruel and unusual punishment. Ninth Amendment states um, that the the enumeration of certain rights in the Constitution shall not be construed or denied or disparaged um, other rights that are retained by the people. And then you have the Tenth Amendment that limits the power of the federal government to those powers specifically granted to it to it by the Constitution. We are way overstepping that, but that's a whole other conversation. And it also reserves all the powers of the, to the states, way over that too, <laughs> and to the people. Whew, we are far away from that. But anyway, moving on, we'll talk about that another time. But who, again, as I said, who does the Bill of Rights protect? It protects us. It protects individuals. It is very much so about making sure that we are protected. Now, I have to inject here a little bit of history again uh, around what was black people doing because I often hear as a black woman I've heard a lot of black people say that they don't think the constitution's for us they don't think it's about us it's just it's just so much and I just want to give you my take on it because I already know if you're especially if you're a black liberal I already know that you're probably either either you're all for it or you're questioning it and I'm just gonna give you my take so when I think about the whole conversation about what black people were doing, 
The number one question is, but we weren't considered human at that time. So that's why we are not uh, represented under these, these documents, right? Like these documents are not for us, but that's not true because you really have to understand the three fifth compromise in order to really get and, and you have to understand what was happening in order to really make that come to that conclusion. So I did some research on that really, really quick. And the three-fifth compromise refers to those who were enslaved. And as we discussed, and as we, we discussed, you have to know the what was happening in the history of my mind is. So before that, let's keep in mind that there was most certainly free black people in 1787. So sometimes I feel like there's an assumption that all black people were enslaved during that time. And that's not true. So there were, there were free black people that were, um, that were free during the time that the constitution was right. And that were involved. I mean, that, that has something to say. Um, there were free black people in America in 1787. So in while slavery was still legal in many of the States at the, at that time, there were also individuals living in the United States. They were around about 60,000 people. So, so you can't say that it's not for black people because there was a clause and there a compromise in there that referred to those who were enslaved. I mean, there were black people that were not enslaved, but for those who were enslaved, the reason why the three fifth compromise was actually beneficial. And I know it's, it's, it's a, it's hard, it's a hard pill to swallow because you know, slavery in and of itself is just wrong. We know it. Um, but at that time, that's what it was. And that was what, that's what was happening. And in order to make sure that we, you know, put the, 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 the best, the best things were, were or the best, uh, rights and, and documents and conversations were happening at the time. I mean, there were some things that had to be put in place. So the three fifth compromise was a provision that was, that was put into the United States Constitution that determined how enslaved individuals would be counted for the purposes of, of determining the state's representation in the federal government. So under this provision, each slave was counted as three-fifths of a person for the purpose of calculating a state's population. Clearly, they saw them as human, <laughs> but for the sake of calculating how much control, how much power these states had in the government, they then said that we will count your enslaved individuals as three-fifths of a person so that we, well, we'll get to why, but that's, that was the, the gist of it, right? So this provision was included in the Constitution during the drafting of the document in 1787, and it was a controversial issue at the time. It was extremely controversial because Southern states wanted their slaves to be counted as full persons in order to increase their representation in Congress, while Northern states opposed this because they believed that it would give the Southern states too much power. Well, clearly, individuals that the individuals who had their their people enslaved were the ones who was fighting for them to be counted as full and not three-fifths and the reason being is because they wanted to have most of the control the northern states didn't if that was the case i don't know i can't say this for sure but knowing that the southern states really wanted to keep slavery in place having control in congress would only make that a more realized option that is a problem. 
So the three-fifth compromise was ultimately agreed upon as a compromise between the two positions because the Northern states said, I cannot give you that much control because we, they, didn't, they didn't agree with some of those things. And then the, the Southern states was like, well, I'm not going to not count my, my the enslaved because then we're not going to have a lot of control or I want to make sure we have enough power in Congress as well. So they decided that we would just count enslaved people as three-fifths of a person for the sake of calculating how much representation that state would have while in Congress. That is extremely important today. So now that you know, understand, now that you understand that part of it, I think we all should, should look at the constitution, the bill of rights and have a greater respect for it. I think we all should see it for what it was. It was a number of people, 13 states, <laughs> nine to that, 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 that agreed upon it. But it was a, it was a, a number of people who came together to say that I want to be in control of myself. I understand that we have to have a rule of law. I understand that we have to have rights. I understand that we have to have order, but I don't want to be under the thumb of any other government other than the government that we create and that understands what we need in order to feel protected, in order to thrive, in order to produce the country that we've created. And it's no secret, we have the evidence that it was the right thing to do and that they did it correctly. And if we really could just go back to focusing in on what was happening and, and actually following the, the, the steps of our founding fathers, I think we will continue to see growth. But it's when you start trying to change things, that's when it begins to become a problem and the breakdown happens. Because again, as you can see, these provisions were put in place for a particular reason. And a lot of it does have to do with human nature. I kind of look at the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, as protecting me from myself. (laughs) But if you are in the country right now and you're a citizen and your rights have been violated, keep in mind that you can always file a complaint. Make sure you contact your, your lawyer. Make sure that you file a lawsuit. And sometimes you can seek some assistance from some advocacy groups that are out there that support that. But I truly believe that we are in a position where we are stepping further and further away from the foundation of this country. And we know that you cannot live in a home with the foundation is cracked. It will eventually all fall in. And that's not what we want. So that was a quick rabbit trail into your rights and the Constitution, but mostly the Bill of Rights, because I think it's important to know what your individual rights are. But I also think it's important to understand that the founding of this country was something that was monumental and that it wasn't done without great, great debate. And it wasn't done without the concerns of every individual. And that is why it is still standing today. And that is why America remains the greatest country in the world. Thank you for going down this rabbit trail with me. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. Remember to like, share, and follow this podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes have been uploaded. And if you heard something that you like, please give it five stars. And guess what? I need your feedback. Or if you just have a topic that you want to hear 
or some ideas and ways that I can help to make this podcast more enjoyable for you, please shoot me an email. It goes directly to me at I am period Janelle King at gmail.com. That's I am dot Janelle King at gmail.com. And like I always say, remember, disagreement is democracy. Thank you for listening. Have you thought about securing your hard-earned assets? Do you have concerns about the future? Protecting assets is crucial, and that's where Nelson Elder Care Law excels. As a family-owned and family-focused firm, we provide absolute assurance and peace of mind through our trademarked Absolute Protection Trust, tailored services in estate planning, probate administration, Medicaid crisis solutions, guardianship and conservatorship. Our goal is to exceed your expectations and empower informed decisions. Visit NelsonElderCareLaw.com for asset protection and peace of mind. Right now, American heroes are in some of the most dangerous places on earth, risking their lives to protect our freedom. But there are a forgotten group of heroes here at home. They face fear, loneliness, and despair, the ever-present threat of losing a loved one. These are the brave sons and daughters of the U.S. military, and they are heroes too. American Bible Society brings the hope and comfort of God's Word to the kids that need it most. Honor a hero and donate today at AmericanBible.org slash hero. Every three minutes, a person in the U.S. is diagnosed with a blood cancer like leukemia, lymphoma, or myeloma, blood cancers that often require patients to endure difficult treatments that leave them feeling weak, cold, and isolated. Subaru of Gwinnett is here to help. Since 2016, Subaru has partnered with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, a cause the fan has been proud to support for over 24 years. And in the month of June through our Subaru Loves to Care initiative, we're continuing our partnership with LLS to give even more to patients and their families. Subaru, more than a car company. Visit SubaruofGwinnett.com to learn more. Four.